We're doing this series on the Sermon on the Mount, which will take us all the way through the summer-ish. But we're on week two, so we're right at the start of it here. Continue on. I'll just pray and just ask for God to meet us. Um, I agree with some of the thoughts Jeremy and Greg had. It's, we do just want to hear from God today. We want to be filled by God and hear what His Word is for us and how we can apply it. I just trust as we look through these few verses, God has something for you and something for me that we can take out and we can engage with Him on and we can obey in. So let's pray. God, we do thank you for today. God, we do pray you'd fill us. God, it's only by your Spirit just bringing life into us, bringing truth, bringing redemption, God, that we have anything of value in us. God, you bring it. We just pray you'd speak to us today. God, we're needing to be filled. We're needing nourishment that only the Word of God can bring, that only your Spirit can bring today. We pray you'd bring it. God, not by the words I have, really, but God, we pray your Spirit would speak something to each of our hearts that you would want us to engage on and that it's a word from you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So Greg kicked it off last week, like I said, and started through the Beatitudes, which is kind of a churchy word, but really it just means blessings. When Jesus defines a few things that he said would be blessed if we acted in a certain way, And he started the Sermon on the Mount just defining how we can live in a way that just brings the blessing of God into our life. And it's not a blessing that's just circumstances or it's easy and we get to sit in a rocking chair and play golf or something. But it's the kind we're singing about. It's the kind that we can sing through it all. It is well with my soul. That comes from something beyond more than just uncomfortable, but really we have the blessing of God in our heart and our life that's beyond circumstance, even through the hard things. And a lot of hard things have happened this year for this church, the cancer and losing parents and losing children. And a lot of things that have happened are hard by the world, and yet we can walk in the blessing of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And I appreciate that Jesus is specific on some things that can bring God's blessing to our life. There was nine of them he went through. And when I was praying about how can we look at these, how can we apply these, I noticed that they kind of break down into three big categories. And some of them Greg covered last week. But the categories are that we'd have a repentant heart before God, that we would live righteously and it would bring a blessing. And when persecution comes, there'd be a blessing. And all three of those are kind of revolutionary. Um, If you look at that time, or our our time even, I think of two kinds of people you would think are in a worldly sense, or religious sense, or in the blessing of God. The religious, those who are blessed, you think of the Pharisees. They were important. They had fancy robes. They had places of honors in the synagogue and temple. They publicly performed ceremonies, and they studied the law. They taught the law. They were honored. I think of the rich person. We tend to think of money as a confirmation of blessing. We think of the football star. We think of the rock star. A tech founder that makes it big and retires at 30 and doesn't know what to do with their life. They don't have to worry about working every day and they're living in luxury and vacations and cars and famous and people take pictures of them and put it on social media and give some kind of funny hashtag. 
just to be next to them. That's what we think of. And I think that's what people would have thought of in that day. But a funny thing happened when Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't say, blessed are the religious leaders. Blessed are those with fancy clothes. In fact, we didn't go through this and go all the way through Matthew, but Matthew 4... I'm going backwards. That's a bad sign. (laughs) But Matthew 4, at the end of it, it says that Jesus was traveling and teaching in synagogues, teaching the religious people, which is what you would expect a rabbi or religious leader to do. But then it says he left the temple and he started traveling through various towns and he would heal the diseased. People would bring them, started bringing them to him. They heard of his power. And he would heal the diseased and paralyzed and demon-possessed. And a crowd started gathering because people heard that he would heal people that were outside of what you would think of those that were blessed religiously. And they were following him and he went off into the mountainside and the crowd gathered and he started preaching. And it wasn't in the temple and it wasn't just to the Pharisees, but it was to the people that needed God's healing. And a little different take I have just on the blessings Greg presented last week. See if this works. Well, is that God blesses a repentant heart. It wasn't a position or fancy things, but he was blessing their heart. And these are the three that Greg covered last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the gentle or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so Jesus starts not with blessed are those who have clean lives that are put together or the pretty or the rich or the religious, but to those that have a repentant, broken heart. And if we humble ourselves before God, we understand that our sin puts us in a place of deserving judgment and punishment. And when I think of mourning, we can think of it mourning for bad things in our life, But I also think in this context, do we mourn for sin? Do we mourn for the things that separate us from God? I think of the book of Nehemiah, where it says Ezra opened up the law and read it to the people, and they hadn't heard it for some time, and they were wailing and weeping before the law of God. And they were in sackcloth and ashes, because they understood their position and their sinfulness before God. God blesses those kind of people and God blesses that kind of heart. And I think that's why he collected them and he got up to the mountainside and he didn't speak to the religious leaders when he started the Sermon on the Mount. And there should be at least one point in our life when we see God's perfect law, we see his standard, we see that we've fallen short and we drop to our knees. And I know I went through this phase where I tried to kind of look religious and look put together. I'd go out with my girlfriend on Friday, go drinking on Saturday, and try to sober up in church on Sunday and hope that was good enough. But it wasn't. I was broken before God, and we're each broken before God. And at some point I realized Christ died because of my sin to pay for those things, because I was drinking, because I was immoral, because I was a liar, and because I had a double life, Christ died for that. And there was no amount of trying to do good or trying to go to church that was going to make it better. God doesn't bless sitting in church and trying to be a good person, but bringing a repentant heart before Him. And there was times I thought, 
I can impress God by doing enough good things. But it's clear as Jesus starts talking that he's not impressed by outward appearance or good works. And I think of the words that Jesus would later say in Luke 18, 10 through 14, really comparing two kinds of people that come before Jesus the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, the swindlers, unjust, idolaters, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then the next part of Luke just goes right along talking about the rich young ruler that came before God with his righteousness and his wealth and feeling confident and saying he'd kept the law. In the end, he went away sad because Jesus wanted his heart, a heart before him. And it makes me ask, is God impressed with good works? Or is he impressed with a broken and repentant spirit before him that exemplifies those three characteristics? A heart that mourns over our sin. And really that heart of being repentant before God is the first step in being a disciple. To understand that the wages of our sin is death. And after we have a repentant heart or a change of heart, it carries through into actions. So we accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. And then these next four blessings start to get into some things that would come out of our life when we understand the work God's done in our life and He starts to work. What does it look like on the outside and where does that blessing come? So the next blessing is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. And so when we've repented of our sin and our own agenda and our own life we begin to crave righteousness when we surrender to God. And righteousness really just means God getting his way. Right things are happening. God wins. We crave this obedience to God and a life handed over to Him. We crave the things of His kingdom and not of our own flesh. Now later in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, we'll get there in, I don't know, July? No, not quite. But Jesus tells us, in one spot before this, He says, when we hunger for money and we seek after money, it will rot with moths eating our treasure and it will be stolen from us and it won't satisfy. I don't know if you've ever gotten a raise at work. I hope so. I trust you're all good employees. But if you notice you go through this range of emotions when you get a raise, like especially if it's totally out of the blue, and someone just comes to you and says, you've been doing great work, would you accept... A two dollars more an hour, or another five thousand a year, or something, and you shake their hand, and it's really exciting. I had it happen once before, just kind of out of the blue for doing good work. And at first, you're just excited and shocked. You're like, someone's noticed, and they want to give me how much, and I still do the same job. That's great. It's so wonderful, and you're kind of on cloud nine. 
And then you reach this point where you're kind of satisfied with it and it seems normal and it seems like you deserve it. And then eventually something funny happens and you think, well, if they gave me a raise once, they probably could give me another one. And you're not as satisfied as you once were and you're kind of craving another one. And you're thinking about how that few hundred a month might have helped my budget and another one would. And then once you have that thought, you're never quite content with that again and you're kind of struggling with that. I've gone through that before and it was kind of this range of emotions of being content and excited all the way to discontent. And it's because our flesh will always crave for more money. It will always crave for more. It will never satisfy our soul. Jesus says when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it will satisfy. It will satisfy our soul. And that verse up there later in the Sermon on the Mount, the next chapter, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Speaking of money and food. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be satisfied. Our soul will one day be satisfied in heaven, seeing Jesus fully satisfied, seeing all things made right, all tears wiped away, seeing God get all the glory. And any glimpse of that picture we see now is a blessing. It is God's blessing in our life to see it. It will satisfy our soul now. Okay, I'm having some technology issues. The next one says, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this is another area where understanding what God has done for us leads to obedience and change in our life and character. After we are in a place of being humble and broken before God, and understanding what we deserve, it changes how we see mercy. Do you remember the tax collector when he came before God? And when he came to the temple and he was praying? He said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. In Romans 5.8, we're told God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's from a place of understanding that mercy from punishment that we've received, that we deserved a death sentence for our sin, that we're told, blessed are those who are merciful. And one part of mercy that comes to mind is care. Do we care about people? Do we care enough to be merciful to others? And when do you start thinking when you see someone in need? Do you think I don't want to make eye contact? Keep on the other side of the street? That looks kind of messy. I'm too busy. I've thought all those things. I don't care about people like I should, like the Lord cares about them. He cares deeply about each of us. He cares deeply about us and our situation. And we've received mercy from Him. Do we care? Do we think about how others might need help? Or do we think about what it would cost us and our money or our time or being uncomfortable? I'll keep clicking. The second question I asked is, 
Do we show mercy to the poor? And this could refer to those who are poor financially or poor spiritually, I think would both be accurate. Oftentimes those can go hand in hand that someone's poor in both aspects and needs God's mercy on them for both things. And I can grow in this. I find myself just busy all the time. I don't know about you. There's always somewhere else I could be headed and something else I could do or what I do with a free day to catch up on. And there's always some reason I have not to get involved. And I know one way practically I'm trying to live this out and we are at the church is a few years ago we are just praying, God, how can we be involved with people that have needs around us? Suddenly we found ourselves in this neighborhood that a lot of you live here, but you look around this neighborhood and there's not a lot of people with needs. It's a very affluent neighborhood at this point. I don't think I could afford to live here anymore. At least right down the street. And so we said, God, how can we just meet needs? How can we show mercy to people and meet it? And we were praying and started up this unglamorous little ministry called the Mercy Ministry just to meet needs and show mercy to people in our neighborhood. And a few things we do with that, just to practically do this. One is that we've hooked up with a women's shelter in town that is kind of like-minded and gospel-focused and trying to reach into women's lives. And we never expect to see anything in return from this. In fact, it's a shelter hooked up with another church, and they encourage people to go there. But there's people in the church here that every month just cook meals for 30 people and go deliver it just to bless them, just to give them a meal and and help them out and just show them the kindness of God. And and that ministry is doing great things and just helping people recover from some of those things, recover from abuse and addiction, and just see the mercy of God in their life. We also organize some involvement with some larger ministry. If you're around through the holidays, you might remember we teamed up with Operation Christmas Child a little bit and collected gifts from you. A lot of you were just very generous and filling up shoeboxes and giving gifts. And they took those and just sent them all over the world to people that needed goods, they needed gifts, they didn't have money for their kids, and they would bring the kids together and have people on the ground there that would just um, share the gospel and give the good news of Christmas and the good news of Jesus to people that didn't have it with meeting the needs. And a number of people here went to help just sort and pack boxes just to get it out the door and to help that. And I think we also just set aside a budget to help people that show up to church and have needs. You may know it or not, but people have walked in and just asked for help. And we've bought groceries for people or sleeping bags or paid rent or paid for hotel rooms so people didn't end up on the street. God wants us to show mercy to people. And that's just a few things that ministry is doing. I, in some ways it just feels really small. It's kind of humble beginnings. And I think God might have a lot more for us of just, just being ready to show mercy to people who walk through the door. But let's just consider what can we do to show mercy to those around us? How can we grow in practically showing mercy to the poor or to care about people in the church or to care about people in our lives that are hurting? The reward says that we will receive mercy when we show mercy. I'm sure glad that God goes above and beyond what I do. If he treated me exactly like I treat others, I don't think I would have that much to look forward to in heaven. 
Um, it was an eternity of what I could bring to the table. But God shows us this mercy in our life that's even beyond the goodness we bring. But he says there's some reward that we shall receive mercy. We'll receive mercy in eternity. We'll receive mercy revealed in heaven. Every act of mercy brings glory to God. And we'll be rewarded in some way in heaven, even if we don't see it now. The next blessing says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think a purity of heart, what does that mean? I want to see God, but purity of heart is kind of an abstract thing in some ways. I was just praying about what does it mean to be pure of heart before you, God? Really, two things came to mind. One is clear motives, and one is our conscience and having a clean conscience. Do we have clear motives before God? I think of a family member I have who at family events likes to bring a bottle of wine. And this person oftentimes brings really expensive bottles of wine and very generously brings it. But then the expectation is that that bottle of wine would get opened that night. And that person probably drinks as much as anyone of said bottle of wine that is brought as a gift to the host. And so it's kind of been questioned or a joke of like, what are the motives there of, is it really a gift for the host or a gift for themselves? Because we can do something that looks good on the outside, but what's our motives? Do we have mixed motives? And I think of things we can do before God and we can check off some box that somehow our motives matter. If we tie the church just because you get a tax break and it's helping out the bottom line at the end of the year, I'm not sure that honors God. I'm sure of a pure heart. If I serve a church just because someone might notice and someone I'm interested in might notice or a pastor or someone else, it's probably the only reward I get. Actually, Jesus said that's the only reward I get. If I come to church just to please someone in my life because my mother wants me to come or um, I want my kids to be in church and I don't care, well, that's probably the only reward I'll get. But we're blessed when we have a pure heart and our actions are reflected by a heart of just purity before God. And the second thing I think about, like I said, is a clean conscience before God. Are we righteous before God because we're innocent? We're pure, unstained, and clean? We see Him when we had a purity of heart. And so the converse would be true that if we have a stained heart, a guilty heart, God is hidden from us and our relationship is strained. Psalm 18.26 says, To the pure you show yourself pure, but to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. Or other translations would say astute or twisted. And I don't think the scripture's there just to say God is twisted and shrewd and astute. But what this means is that when we have sin in our life, and when there's stuff hidden in our heart, and we're living a double life, it twists our image of God. It twists how we see Him so that He appears to us to be shrewd and twisted. I don't know if you've ever talked to someone after a fight or tried to jump in the middle of it. Even the hottest of hotheads that a hairpin trigger gets in a fight. Have you noticed it's always the other person's fault? They both say, this is why it happened. The other person did something, or they said something, or they reacted, and now we're both fighting, and 
neither one will claim right off the bat that the other person was at fault or that they were at fault it was all the other person it's kind of how I think it is with God that it twists things clearly someone would have to be at fault but neither of them would admit it that reference is wrong but it's Isaiah 59.2 it says but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear our sin separates us from God it hides his face so that we do not see him it muffles his voice so that we do not hear him that's not very encouraging that God's hidden from us But God did give us action steps to remedy this so that we can be pure of heart and we can see Him and hear Him. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So we need to confess our sins before God. And this verse even goes further to say, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. God would really heal us from sin. God would clean our conscience. God would give us purity of heart so we could see Him. And having this accountability between one another is something we're working on at the men's Bible study on Mondays. Maybe I shouldn't highlight this because no one runs in the door for accountability and confession of sin. But it's something we're working on because we think it honors God and we're obeying this verse. We believe that there's strength that comes from having accountability. That we experience God's healing in our life. We experience the power of God. And after starting this back up, even for a month, I can tell you it's not very comfortable. I'd rather hide the bad things I do in my week and just kind of pray once and have it be gone than tell someone about it. And I'd rather not have to ask the other men the hard questions. It's just kind of messy and uncomfortable. I don't really care if you slacked off at work and if you looked lustfully or angry. or I'd rather just talk about the Broncos. That's who I am, and I have to overcome that every week. But it's good. There's a real blessing that comes when we have that healing, when we have that pure heart in our life, and we can see God at work. And so I'd ask you to just consider, am I seeing God at work in my life right now? Am I seeing God? Can you share a word from the scriptures that God has given you recently? Not a year ago, not a month ago, but this week, today. Have you seen answers for your prayers? Do you see God at work? Do you hear Him? If not, there may be unconfessed sin that's keeping God's face hidden from you. Because the second question is, am I willing to confess my sin to see God in my life? If you have sin that no one knows about, are you willing to tell someone? God says healing and freedom from our sin comes through doing this. And we're not opening up office hours for Greg to have a kneeler to do it. It's just sharing with someone in your life. But are we willing to take a hard step if it means seeing God? Are we willing to do the uncomfortable and the dirty to see God at work in our life, to see His face and to hear Him? Okay, the next blessing says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of peacemakers. 
And that word, it might be a gun. I think I've heard that before. Peacemaker. I grew up in Boulder, and so when I think of peace, a different word comes to my head from the whole Boulder hippie movement. But when you think of like peace, is it like a drum circle and we're singing hippie songs and have peace signs and we're passing around the peace pipe? That's what I grew up with. That's what was going on. We're talking about peace. I don't think it's that. I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. One thing I notice is when he said peacemaker, there's an activity to it. We're actively doing something to bring peace. It's not just being passive or not caring or having easygoing temperament or things roll off our back, but it's actively bringing peace. And I think the biggest thing Jesus is talking about, especially in this context, was peace with God and spiritual peace. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he was committing to us the word of reconciliation. So God has given us this work like he has reconciled us to him to go help bring peace in reconciling other people to God. I think there's good in bringing peace between people and countries and fights, but there's a better peace that Jesus would bless in bringing peace of people to God. And so another question for you to consider is, am I laboring to bring peace between people and God? Am I actively telling people about sin and about Jesus and about the work he's done and about repentance? One of the goals of our gospel groups that we announce every Sunday morning is to be able to love those and share the gospel with them in our life. And we're praying that we'd be getting the gospel out with them. We'd all be active. And each one of us, not just a pastor or a deacon, but each one of us would be applying the gospel and trying to reach people in our life. What steps can we take to bring the gospel forward? Okay, two more to get through. So we kind of went through phases there. So I said there was kind of three sections of blessing. One was being broken, humble, and meek before God and having that repentant heart. Those next four blessings all had to do with actions we have and things that with that repentant heart we do, we're blessed in. And the last two really have to do with having a blessing that relates to how the world responds to living righteously and honoring God when we're actively showing mercy, when we're actively bringing peace by sharing His Word. So the next one is, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so it doesn't just leave it at, Blessed are those who are persecuted, or when bad things happen to us, or circumstances are bad, or our luck is down. I got a speeding ticket, maybe 12 or 14 years ago in Nebraska and I was going like twice the speed limit across I-80 and I got a hefty fine and a lecture from the police officer and kind of wondered if I would spend that night in some jail somewhere but that was all justified I was sinning and a young guy that could use some sense of obeying God on the road there's no blessing in that even though it was hard and I didn't have fun that night it was just punishment for my sin This blessing comes from living righteously 
and receiving persecution for it. The world is turning far away from God and far away from his principles. If you look at our media, it celebrates the drug users and the partiers and the vain and the strong more than the noble and the righteous. And when we take a stand and say we're going to uphold the Bible, we're just going to try to live out what God does and that standard, the world doesn't like it very much. I remember God just putting things in my life on this, of what I will be willing to continue to be righteousness and strive for that in the face of persecution. Not hard persecution, but just in the face of opposition. I was a partier and a drinker before following Christ. And when I made a decision to follow him, I gave up alcohol and stopped drinking. And just admit it, I have a problem with this. It's not something I can just have two drinks and stop and it's controlled. It's just sin in my life. And so I gave it up and stopped drinking. And I remember being told, you're legalistic, you're taking this thing too far, you're off your rocker, why would you do that? But God gave victory and blessed it because I wanted to obey Him. And I was obeying Him and walking into it. Another area think about it is just the whole area of relationships and sex. I made a decision when I was 18 that I didn't want to date anymore. I didn't want to just be involved. I didn't want to give my heart away or disobey God as an unmarried man. And so I broke up with my girlfriend and said, I'm going to stay single until God has me ready to be married. And that was about nine years or so. And I got a hard time for that too. And I remember being asked a number of times, would I take a stand on that? Especially with various things that that would represent. Um, You know so-and-so is doing this. Are you saying that they're a sinner? Well, that's really between them and God if they're in sexual sin. But yes, that is what the scripture says and I'm going to uphold that. And that's why I'm trying to live this way is to honor that and live righteously. And I got called all kinds of things for that on numerous occasions, the close-minded and a lot of things worse than that I wouldn't repeat. But are we willing to be called bad names and be teased to live out a standard? It's just a small taste, I think, of what this verse is talking about. But more and more, we're going to need to be willing to endure a little bit of persecution and opposition to live righteously, to hold up the scripture, and to live it out in a way that really honors God. The world is not going to like that. The last blessing is related, but a little different. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This can seem really similar to the last one, but there is a slight difference. The last one was talking about persecution for living righteously. And this one specifically talks about being persecuted for bearing the name of Jesus. So when we call ourselves a Christian, we take on his name. When we're baptized, we share in his baptism, and we publicly proclaim that. When we become peacemakers and share about Jesus with other people, 
we share in that. It can lead to persecution. I remember we went through the neighborhood a few years back and just handed out flyers for a series coming up. I don't remember which one it was. We tend to do them for Easter series or a fall one. We just made these little flyers or cards and went around and put them on people's doors, inviting them to church. And about later that week, uh, Rich was here opening up the mail, and we got a letter with one of our flyers that came back that said something, had some choice words and thoughts about what we could do with our double-sided glossy flyer that was not recyclable and cluttering their door. And then it got more into why they didn't like Jesus and why they didn't like his name coming out. It was just a small taste of persecution. We've had people call just to say, don't come knocking on my door when you do it. Mark it down. Never come back. And I don't think we've really kept track of them. And the turnover in this neighborhood, they probably don't live there anyway anymore. But there's people opposed to that. And even more so, um, there's people being killed for the name of Jesus all over the world. And I was reminded... Um, from about 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, late 90s, that's 20. <laughs> I just had that moment. <laughs> I was just thinking about the, the Columbine shooting. If those of you that were around here then, it was a big event that happened in Colorado that really marked us. <laughs> and there was two boys that went through the high school and started shooting their classmates. The very first person that got killed in that shooting spree was a young woman named Rachel. According to her friend Richard, who was there and witnessed her death, she was shot a few times by the boys, and they'd moved on and heard her, saw her move in and kind of turned around and had this confrontation with her. And it says they returned to where she lay, and one of the boys lifted her up by the hair and asked her, Do you still believe in God? And she answered, you know I do. And the boy said, then go be with him and shot her another time. And her mother was quoted in the newspaper saying she was thankful to know that that's what happened and that it brings her comfort to know that Rachel died for the one thing she was willing to die and that was defending her faith and this faith in Jesus. And I believe Rachel is experiencing a great reward in heaven today for her faith. There's countless people that have died over the last 2,000 years for this faith and for the name of Jesus. Many of the disciples, all the way to this month, people have have died for this name. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And their reward in heaven is great. I don't think we're likely to all experience that kind of persecution like Rachel did or like some of these people are around the world. In North Denver Highlands here, might not be on our radar. But I do want you to consider that question. I'm okay with being teased or labeled or hated to get the gospel out. Well, I continue to push forward in it, knowing that the world hates his name. That everything Jesus represents is against what the world is doing and where it's going. And do I rejoice to be counted with Christ and to bear his name? To bear his name in baptism and being a Christian, calling ourselves a Christ follower.
Rachel's mother had that kind of faith, and Rachel had that kind of faith, knowing that she was counted with Christ. In the account of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, it is recorded that Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. And so we could preach a drum circle and peace on earth or go feed the poor and that's the end of it. Where all religions are pretty good. And we probably wouldn't get persecuted. But Jesus would say to us, woe to you. Say to me, woe to you, Brad. That's how they treated the false prophets. The blessing comes when we proclaim Christ and we're persecuted for it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a pretty inflammatory statement today, right there. But are we willing to be bold with that to say, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and take His word to the world, even in the face of persecution? Are we willing to proclaim His name to get the blessing He has for us? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Sometimes I read it and it's a challenging word. God, in the face of what we know your followers are facing, do we willingly choose to bear your name and to walk into what you walked in? God, I pray you'd help us. The blessing does not come by just being comfortable and going to church and trying to amass money and look good. The blessing comes when we're humble and contrite and meek before you. And we show mercy when we live righteously. And even when we're persecuted for it. God, I pray you give us courage. Help us as a church proclaim your name in the face of that. God, help us each be bold, help us each be peacemakers and be taking your gospel forward and not just passive. God, I pray you bless this church, you grow it, you'd help us get the gospel out. Um, God, help us be in faith in this this week. In Jesus' name, amen.